Hi, my name is Andres Abello, and I beat the awesome path by honestly catering to my passion and, and starting a, a company that really allows people to get on the, on the water and being able to do this with two of my best friends is, is one of the most rewarding aspects of life. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual and interesting success stories, people who have lived their lives and careers outside the box to give you a different kind of inspiration and motivation for how to build a life and career that is uniquely weird like you. Andres Aveo grew up in Florida, where the water was a big part of his everyday life. His life took a series of unexpected twists and turns, leading to him having a great and stable career. But like so many successful people before him, he wasn't content to stop there. He knew he was meant to build a company, and he knew he was meant to do something with the water. Well, now he's built a company called Paddle that offers first-of-its-kind paddleboard and kayak rentals all over Florida and soon the world. Just subscribe with your phone and unlock the board at any location, take it out, return it where you got it, and lock it back up. It's that easy. It's a novel twist on the kind of model you might have seen for scooters and bicycles and e-bikes around your city. So here is the inspiring story of Andres Aveo, co-founder of Paddle. Well, welcome, Andres. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much, Ross. No, I really appreciate it, and it's great to be on the show. It's my pleasure. So for those who are going to be watching and those who are listening at home, Andres is in a beautiful location right now. He's got a beach behind him and he's got some palm trees. But unfortunately, when we put that as the background, you can't see his face. So now we've got it flipped around. He is looking at the most gorgeous view you've ever seen in your life. Stereotypical postcard kind of thing. Do you live on the beach yourself? Uh, no, I don't. Um, but we work really nearby. We're constantly on the beach. So uh, I guess to tell you a little bit about our business, it's uh, we created a network of self-service paddleboard stations. Uh, we're currently adding kayaks to them as well. But these stations are located right on the water, exactly where people want to be able to rent them and use them. Uh, so part of the day in, day out of our uh, uh, my job and my team's job is to visit these stations and constantly around different locations. I have the most beautiful backdrops you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah. And you're based out of the Florida Keys, right? That's where uh, you grew up? So I guess you can consider Key Biscayne the, the northernmost island, but it's uh, the island's called Key Biscayne. It's about 15 minutes outside of Miami. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're technically considered in Miami. Gotcha. Technically considered in Miami. Very cool. Yeah. So some years ago, I think all of us, you couldn't help but notice many years ago when all of the scooters and e-bikes and things started creeping around. One day there were yeah. none, and then the next day there was one, and then two, then three, then five, and then soon they're just flooded with those kinds of things. Yeah. So very quickly, this model of using your phone to unlock things, to rent things and take them kind of took over. And I think a lot of people who wanted to start a business thought about how can they apply this model to something else? Uh, it would have never occurred to me to do what you did. How on earth did you make the leap to think I'm going to apply this to surfboards, to paddle boards? It seems like that would be basically impossible. How did the idea come about? So, um, the idea came up. I mean, Lime was, Key Biscayne was Lime's first public pilot. Um, so in really early on in 2017, we, we saw these bikes appear out of nowhere, these bright green bikes. And I immediately started using them. They were incredibly uh convenient always around and uh it, i saw the convenience factor that it provided to people uh myself and uh both of my co-founders Khalil Corey and felipe Hauregui, uh we all grew up here on key biscayne uh it being an island everything we did was water related whether it's fishing diving uh just going out for a swim 
paddling. I mean, you name it, you'd find us on the water. Uh, so when we saw these bikes, we, we had this aha moment and we're like, okay, we, we have to do this. We knew we could do it ourselves. Khalil, my partner is a brilliant guy. I mean, uh, background in, in robotics and mechanical engineering. So we were able to quickly whip up a prototype, put it on the beach, get some feedback. And from there we went and we, we just kind of went all in. So step one is have a good friend who's really good at robotics and engineering. That's the it's key, all, right? It's all about the team. I mean, not, none yeah. of this would happen without the team. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I love that story. So tell us a little bit about your background. So did you work in some kind of corporate job before this? Or yeah. what was the path that led you up to this moment? Uh, started off in accounting uh, and finance, working uh, primarily in hospitality. So worked within different restaurant groups and cruise lines. Um, eventually went, uh, was the director of finance most recently, uh, with Crystal Cruises and was there for about five years. And I would say within year two, I was already thinking of how can, what can I build with, with, with my two best friends? We had started a previous company, so we knew that, uh, we wanted to build more companies and we just love being able to, to make life easier for people. Um, and coming from hospitality, I knew that recreation for me was something that really appealed to me. It, I, I love interacting with people when they're on their free time, finding ways to really give people the most of that free time, which is the reason you want to get out of your corporate job in the first place. But <laughs> it just uh, all the stars aligned and we just went for it. Absolutely. So were you, is it fair to say miserable in your nine to five job or was it okay, but you just felt um, you could do something better? Honestly, no. I mean, I, I, I did love it. it okay. it's, I had I also had a great team there, um, but I knew that I always wanted to to build something. And it, it's really all about building. It's about being able to create something out of nothing and being able to share that with the world. Um, so again, I, we, we had started previous companies before and uh, we, we kind of had that itch. That's amazing. <laughs> what were the uh, free, uh, previous companies that you had before? All water related. So the first one was a, a fishing social network called uh, Fishbox. We were connecting uh, fishermen with with charter captains, uh, primarily around Florida. Um, and then the next one was a lure subscription business where you can you subscribe and we'd send you a lure every month. I love that. I love how your geographic location determines so many ideas. Like these are things that would have never even occurred to me. None of these businesses would have ever <laughs> occurred to me. I grew up in the middle of Colorado. I grew about a, a, up about as far away from an ocean as you can possibly be on the globe. So thinking of fishing lures and kayaks, that was the last thing in my mind. It was like, where can I go hiking, right? Yeah. No, but, but I, it's funny you say that because um, some of the best places to paddle are actually in Colorado. Um, I, my partner Talking about on a river or something? Or? A lot of the lakes, especially around Denver, you get some beautiful areas. And, it, yeah. and even if you go a little further south into like Arizona and stuff, you start getting into the reservoirs. And those are the most beautiful backdrops you'll ever come across. That's very true. It is gorgeous <laughs> there. Although I have to say that I prefer the beach life personally. That's why I moved to California. <laughs> but that's just me. I love Colorado. I think it's amazing. It's one of the coolest places on earth. But I'd rather be where you are now or where I am, which is to say on one of the coasts. That's just my I personal I mean, the most ideal would be if you can be skiing every winter and then on the beach in the summer, you, you've maxed out life, I think. <laughs> yes, I think that's absolutely true. And maybe the next business that you'll come up with is a, a ski share model or something like that or a snowboard we'll, share we'll model. We'll see if we, we bring something in down the line. <laughs> Paddle's going to come on that way. So uh, so you came up with this idea. You, you got your friends. You built some businesses before, which which is a story that I've heard before. People have said that it's good to have co-founders, obviously, that you trust because it's a relationship and you need to be able 
yeah. to count on the people that you start a business with. So that's interesting that that's true for you as well. But you realized that you had the team, you had an idea. How did you go about, like, what were the first steps that you took from turning your idea into a reality? Um, step one was build a really simple prototype. Um, so, I mean, we, we ordered parts on Amazon, just uh, kind of plug and play microcontrollers and a plug and play locking system. Started drilling through some of the paddle boards that we had at home and started inviting friends and family like, hey, come check this out, test it. Let me know what you think. If you like it, what you like about it, what don't you like about it? Um, and once we, we kind of had a general idea of what we wanted to do, it, it was um, really opening up Pandora's box into all the other avenues of manufacturing. So, I mean, we, we went out, we 3D printed a bunch of molds uh, and uh, a bunch of parts, uh, saw how the locking mechanisms moved within those 3D printed molds. Once we had the, the final component, uh, we had formal molds made so we can continuously produce different uh, uh, our locking systems. Yeah. Then went through 20 iterations of what the station would look like initially, trying to manage wow. uh, one simplicity so people could really access it. And also, if we we're going to take this to a scalable business, how are we going to ship this? So by design, we can fit the station on a flatbed truck and sign a shipping container and really send it anywhere in the world. Um, really going through all these avenues of design. For me, it was really my first time on the hardware side. Luckily, my partner had done this a couple dozen times, so it was uh, uh, he knew what he was doing. We followed his lead on it and provided our expertise where possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the sales side, we just started reaching out to every single city that we knew, and we started trying to get any contract that would come by, um, built it from there, and happily, we're able to really build this out throughout Florida, and uh, next year, you'll start seeing these come across the country. Very cool. I love that you had the idea to lock a paddleboard because I know that I'm very ignorant, but it would have never occurred to me that that was even possible. How does one lock a paddleboard? Um, through, so we actually designed a housing that goes, it fits onto any board. So we're not, we're, we're, we don't have to have any specific board type um, and it drills through the board. So at, at the point of manufacturing or at our facility, we can attach the, the locking systems onto the boards and then they fit on our station. Amazing. So are these things just, they're located outside? If I just go around Florida, I'll see some little banks and there are just boards yep. stacked up and I can grab them and just go and... Exactly. Uh, you'll my you'll see them. The, the station itself is solar powered. It has its own base. So, I mean, the way that we launch it is we just show up with a forklift, drop it off, and it's operational. It's a new new business open, ready to go for people to start renting. And, That's so uh, cool. When you see it, I mean, you just see four boards standing up. You'll see the rental sign on the station. Um, they're solar powered, so it's a big solar panel on top. Uh, and you can immediately show up directly from the paddle app, unlock the board, and you're ready to go. Amazing. And um, the neighborhood that I used to live in, it had a lot of them, East Hollywood. Yeah. They did very well, but there's, it's a, to put it mildly, it's a relatively high crime area. And what I noticed with those kinds of things, I mean, many of them would be destroyed, they'd be smashed. Uh, but also there's other maintenance issues on Lime scooters and things like that, like the batteries will die, or there are various things yeah. that they need to deal with. Have you had to deal with any of that stuff? I mean... It's inherent in any business like this that you will have to deal with it. But I mean, the biggest extent of what we've seen, actually, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a board that was stolen and then returned <laughs> because and not necessarily returned, but it was it was left in the beach. We, luckily, we have GPS trackers, so we're able to find them. 
Uh, we know where the equipment is uh, on the station itself. And part of our patented locking system is that we have a wireless charging uh, component going from the station to the board. So the GPSs are constantly charged. Um, the major differentiator between the paddleboard or a kayak and an electric scooter is that it's a non-motorized vehicle. So we don't have the majority of the issues that, that you'll be seeing with them. Um, mm -hmm. Also, the fact that it's 12 feet long, people just don't want to take these things. It's like, use it when you're going to use it and right. kind of be on with your life. Because if one of the biggest challenges that we solve is that Water sport equipment is massive. It's you have kayaks that for the most part weigh 80 pounds. If you want to transport it or store it, you have to keep it in your house. If you live in an apartment, it's next to impossible. Yeah. If you need to move around, you need a car with a rack or a truck. Um, and for a paddleboard, it's the same thing. So by being able to just have this equipment on site, you resolve all these issues. But it's also the same reason why people don't want to steal it. <laughs> right. Do you think that the surfer community, I mean, are they generally more positive? Are they more respectful or is that just not the case at all? Um, I would say to a certain point, but with any community, you have you have your positives and negatives. So sure. um, it, I wouldn't generalize on that. I think um, people are our customer. When you're really looking at our customer, it's people who are on their free time. They're not working. They have some time to, to enjoy themselves. They want to make the most of that time. So they're showing up. It's either because they're outside of working hours and local or they're traveling and on vacation. So they're going to come. They're going to ride the boards. They're going to return the boards and, and continue to enjoy their day and their free time. And the more seamless that we can make this process, obviously, there's certain things that we have to do, like just uh, safety information and make sure that everyone has a safe and fun operation. But um, the more seamless that we can make this, the, the more value we add to people on their free time. Absolutely. So you had this prototype, you had some of these early ideas in place, you start selling it around. Was the early reaction positive? How did people react when you first brought it to them? So I'll tell you this. So the first station, uh, myself, and my two partners, we built it in the back of uh, Khalil's house, my partner. And we ordered all the pipes. And the first one, we started spray painting it. Eventually, we sent them out to powder coat and changed the whole process. But this thing was just like a bare bones model. Um, completely homemade. Uh, the locks were made here. So we sourced all of the different components from all the molds and, and we did all the assembly in house. Uh, and we, we ended up actually taking the station behind a golf cart, towing it to our first location after we won the first contract <laughs> and dropped it off on the beach. <laughs> nice. Um, as you can imagine it being homemade, everything went wrong. <laughs> sure um we learned what worked what didn't work eventually we and we started working out the kinks um the product that was out there month one was very different than the product was out there in month three but the one thing that we saw that really made us know that we were on something early on was that even with all these challenges people kept coming back and they kept renting and it was the same people that came that kept coming back and kept renting um so we we were able to establish that even with all these problems that we're seeing in the, in the customers facing, as long as we keep improving them and we provide support to alleviate those initial challenges, it's a, it's a winning ball game. So you were definitely of the school of having a minimum viable product. You definitely followed that. You said, yeah. let's just get something out there. Let's test it. Let's see how people react. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, positive. the, the first version of the app and sorry, there's a, a seaplane flying over right now. That's okay. Hey, we have helicopters out here. I know what it's like. <laughs> um, it's a nonstop but, barrage. Yeah. 
No, I mean, even with the first version of the app and the first version of the station to what the app is now and what the station looks like now, um, it has its initial core principles of what we designed, but everything else has shifted. Um, and it's it's based on listening to your customers and just adjusting the product to, to fit those needs. And of course, where you see challenges, any bugs in the app, you're just going to continuously update that. But we, we've turned our company from just uh, um, an unlocking product to a full customer service organization where, where we have multiple different touch points and, and really being able to cater from the process beginning to end, but remotely. And that's what really differentiates us. So it allows us to open not just one location here where, where if you look at a traditional water sport vendor, um, they'll have one location, it's a staff concession. It's a very difficult model to scale. Um, we have something here that we can open 30 locations around Florida and be able to manage from one centralized location. And that's what you have, right? 30 locations, more or yeah, less? So we, yeah. we had 20 locations a couple months ago. Um, we've opened another five since then. We're opening another 10 now, and we'll be at 50 by this summer. So our goal at the beginning of the year was two and a half X of business. And uh add kayaks those are the number one two the, the number one and two roadmap items that we have uh we've been able to do it so far so we're happy <laughs> congratulations that's amazing it's just may yeah it's incredible well, just not even halfway coming. there yeah <laughs> super cool um so when it comes to uh when it comes to your life i'm curious has your life changed so you a lot of people want to become an entrepreneur. They want to build a business because they want to either facilitate some kind of change or they want to change their own life. I know it's early and I know you're in the grinding phase, but how has your life changed? Do you feel more fulfilled on a personal level since starting this? What's the I, difference I, that you've gone through? So personally, I definitely feel more fulfilled. Um, it's It's been a dream of mine ever since I came up with the, the concept of this and my partners to build this out and, and to see what we've been able to build and actually um, provide the service across the entire state of Florida. It just to me, it's, it's amazing. Um, now, I will say this to, to aspiring entrepreneurs and anyone that wants to, to do something like this. It, it's, it's not the easier route. It's by far not the easier route. It is uh, initially definitely the most stressful route. Um, you're, you're going, there's no structure. There's no understanding of what you're going through. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of uh, trusting your gut and going for it um, in the early stages. Once you get a little bit more formalized, you kind of run the data and you understand that where your path is on the right path. Um, but to get through those those early stages, and to be frank, we're still in the early stages. Of course, it takes a village to get there, and it, it, I wouldn't have been able to get to the point where we are without my partners, without my wife, without my entire family, really being able to to support this. I mean, I have two kids, so I mean, even I have to take off to North Florida at the flick of a whim. My mom just being able to come in and say, "Look, I, I got the kids; it's okay." And my wife saying, "Hey, I got the kids; it's okay." I mean, it, it takes a village to get to this. So mom's yet again to the rescue. It was just Mother's Day. Oh, no, no. Mom's always to the rescue. One of the other interviewees I had, she <laughs> said her mom was helping her with packing the socks and shipping. So her first business yeah. was literally her and her mom shipping all of these things across the country. So yeah. mom's to the rescue yet again. That's the no. key takeaway so far, right? It, and, and it's funny enough, it's not the first or second time I hear of this. So. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, everybody's scrappy in the beginning. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> 
Um, so you feel more fulfilled. Obviously, I assume it's safe to say that you're working longer hours, not shorter hours, if I had to guess. Yeah, I work seven days a week. And it's it, right. it, we, we do have an operationally intensive company in terms of there, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes to make sure that we can provide the service offering that we that, that we provide. But um, it, it's it's what we knew we were getting into. It's not a surprise. Um, but you feel better because you've got a mission and because you've got this greater thing. You feel happier about putting in those hours to where if you're yeah, doing it for I somebody mean, else or a project that you don't necessarily believe in, you might feel, eh, it's not worth my time or just some kind of yeah. something. No, it's, it, it, and I guess to word it differently, it's not a job. <laughs> right. Um, it, and it doesn't feel like a job. It's, it, it, we have a, a goal to really provide self-service recreation. And we we're starting with water sports in Florida. Um, but this is just the beginning. We'll, we'll be adding different vehicles. We'll be going across the country and across the world. And knowing that we're on this mission to really be able to give back that time to people when they're on their free time and be able to provide a better option. Um, it's one healthy, it's, it's fun. It's a way to enjoy. And, um, I I see it myself. If when I took a a week long vacation, which I hadn't done in a few years, um, uh, about a month ago and it was like nothing else i mean it was you have that time with your family with uh your friends and to be able to make sure that you enjoy the most of that free time um know that we can provide that to other people uh it resonates so it is a mission that that i'm happy to be a part of so when you took a vacation did you take a vacation to another beach in a different place or did you (laughs) go to antarctica is that one experienced the cold no no no. we were actually in europe but uh, okay yeah so you experienced the cold you're like i want some rain and some gray for a minute yeah, no, I mean, to me, going to another beach almost doesn't feel like vacations. Right. Extent, You're but, in um, the paradise right now. That's why, to me, I mean, honestly, you said Colorado, and that, to me, is my my like, all-time favorite vacation. Uh, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. You're like, I want to dry out for a little bit. I want to drink <laughs> four liters of water a day and still feel dehydrated for a change. Exactly. <laughs> I want to have two beers and be wasted. <laughs> that's what I want. Nothing like the mountains. <laughs> yes, nothing like the mountains, indeed. Uh, a concept that I've been kicking around for a while is what I call big leaps and small leaps. And it seems to me that anybody who wants to pursue a different path or a weird path or an out of the ordinary path, again, there's no template for these kinds of decisions. Nobody's telling you how to build a business like this. You're figuring it out as you go. And I think we have this model in our head, people who've watched Half Baked, where the guy comes in and he says, F you, F you, F you, F you, you're cool, I'm out, and he mic drops and he leaves. We have this idea in our head that people just have to make this big sweeping decision. They, they quit. They tell their boss off. They just leave the nine to five and then they jump into something else. But like you said, you're the father of two. So we know there's a lot of practical considerations there. You've got to take care yeah. of your family. You've got to pay your rent, your mortgage or whatever your expenses are. So I think like a big leap is when somebody says, you know what, I'm going to quit everything and I'm going to become a performance artist and they have no safety net, no concept, no plan. Yeah. But a small leap might be doing one tiny thing that I'm scared of doing. Like I'm afraid of cold calling somebody about my new product. So a small leap is I'm going to go call that first person and see if they want to have my product. What, what are some thoughts you have about the big and small leaps that you've taken on your own journey? And how should people think about that? Because if they don't take some kind of leap, they'll stay where they're stuck. And I think so many of the people right now are stuck in a job they hate, in a life they don't like. What's your thoughts on that? Um, 
I don't think there's any reason that anyone should hold themselves back. So, and especially on the small leap. So when you're, when you're first starting out to create, let's, let's assume we, we never did the market research. We never went out and spoke with all the different water sport concessions. And I mean, before launching this, we spoke with 50 to 60 different water sport vendors who had their own concession and learned about their model. Um, actually, when we designed this, we, we were designing paddle to be a self-service option to sell the equipment to water sport vendors, which we will end up doing in the future, but currently kind of a, a different model. Um, you have to take those little leaps, just make the phone calls, meet everybody that you can possibly meet. Um, you never know who you're going to meet and you never know who's going to love your idea and, or you never know who's going to hate your idea and tell you probably some of the best advice you've ever heard. <laughs> mm. um, it's take everything with a grain of salt, but, but know what's out there. Uh, so no one should ever not make a phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you should always go out and just meet everyone who you can possibly meet. Those are the two most impactful things that I, I would say early on made a difference. Um, when you're first launching your product, get customer feedback. Uh, your customers will always tell you what they like, what they don't like. And uh, you'll be able to quickly figure out one, who your customer is and also what you need to build for them. Um, in terms of big leaps, so we built this out and completely uh, unfunded, just in-house early on. And we we did this in a way that we still had our other jobs, myself, my two partners. Um, we, we were going down a journey that wasn't an overnight success. So, I mean, unless you, you have some crazy overnight success, which I don't don't know what type of overnight success really exists or what mm-hmm. that really is. Um, I don't see people really just saying F you, F you, F you, I quit and I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> it's just not a, it, it's not a realistic play unless you have built a safety net specifically to do this thing. And so for you, you built what you could while you were employed. And then there was a certain moment. When did you feel that you were ready to flip that switch? When I couldn't work two jobs anymore. So just, it was too much to handle. Impossible. Yeah, there was yeah. it was physically impossible, and the switch had to be made. Have you guys hired any employees yet? Yeah, so now our team is a total of eleven. So okay. we've grown the company quite large, um, and uh, it, it's it's honestly been great just because we can focus on different aspects. So I mean, before everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. I mean, we had stations in North Florida, on the West Coast of Florida, and South Florida. We we're a small team of five people when we first opened all this. So as you can imagine, I mean, people are driving all over the state at all any given time. Um, that's not healthy for anybody. So no. being able to, to have a dedicated resource on the West Coast, a dedicated resource in North Florida uh, to support with general maintenance and, and operate the business on that front has alleviated a lot. Uh, really putting more attention to customer support. Um, so having someone dedicated on customer support has been really life-changing and uh, probably the best thing we ever did because now customers are getting the full attention that they deserve. That's not to say that I'm still not answering calls or my partners still aren't answering calls, but just to have dedicated times where, where people aren't over burnt out and really focused in being able to provide a, a true delivery of customer support. Um, at the end of the day, we're a hospitality company. Uh, we don't look like it on the outside, but we're catering to people when they're traveling and when they're on their free time. So I consider ourselves a hospitality company. And when, when you're in that realm, uh, 
you have a couple of beliefs. One, you always serve your customer. Uh, my old company had a, a, a saying that I really loved. And if you're not someone who serves your customer, you're someone who serves you're someone who serves someone who serves your customer. And that's mm-hmm. how we look. That's how we look at ourselves as well. I like that. That's really nice. Um, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. And then when it comes to making that that big leap, obviously funding is one of those major bottlenecks that everybody has. Or the yeah. question whether to bootstrap or to go for outside funding. Now I've yeah. seen, if I'm not mistaken, that you guys got some four hundred thousand dollars from Seed Invest. Correct yeah, me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, that was a crowdfund. And today we've raised over one point five million. Um, okay. which I've been able to really grow the business and 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 build the company that we have. Is that all crowdfunding or different investors? No, no, no. So, I mean, primarily uh, angel funds and, and angel okay. investors. So when it comes to making that kind of decision, because again, I feel like there's a large group of people who have an idea or a desire, but they're worried about getting the funding to build an idea that's capital intensive. How do you think people can approach the idea of getting funding for their idea? Or what's a smart way to think about that? Um, the smartest way to think about that is one well, it's it's the path that you want to take with the company. So, I mean, you can build a healthy cash flowing business and you can bootstrap it. And I think I'm a big believer that you should try to bootstrap it unless it's something that 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 shouldn't be. I mean, it, it it's a hard question to answer just because it, it really depends on the business. So um, let's take a look at, I guess... Um, trying to come up with an example here, but uh, let's just say a blockchain company right now. Um, Blockchain is really, really early in in its life cycle. And it's, there's a lot of unknowns. So if you're going to make a personal mass investment on this and you're going to, you're going to take this yourself, um, do you have all the all the expertise and all the knowledge? Are there investors that can not only contribute capital but also a, a bring on a wealth of knowledge into your company? I would say that that that's a value add that an investor can bring. Also, will will capital and this knowledge accelerate your growth to the point where you can really take this company to to the next level? That's another aspect. I mean, we decided to go to the venture fund the company because. We saw the ability to really take this globally, um, absolutely, still, and that's that's something that we can't do ourselves. Again, it's going to take an even bigger village to take it. <laughs> yeah, from, that's a real village <laughs> to take it from the first step over over to the next phase of the company. So I, I do believe that venture funding is the path for us. Would you agree with the statement that if somebody has a good enough idea and that they work hard enough, that funding isn't an issue? Do you believe that, or do you believe that that's not true? Um. I I don't believe that's true. I think okay. it's uh, fundraising is almost a, a full time job on its own. When you're when you're fundraising and and we, I was taking thirty meetings a week at one point and just on fundraising, which really takes away from from the aspect of being able to run and operate the business. Which my my two co founders really stepped in and took over a lot of that portion. Um, so it's it, it depends, I and mean, that's not the story for us. Um, I know. And it, it does vary. So, I mean, for example, uh, if you've sold, if you've built and sold a couple of companies before, it definitely helps if you uh, already have your network. But if you're coming in fresh and you don't have a network and you don't even know where to begin, um, step one is build that network. So 
I wouldn't say that it's something that just happens. Um, it could happen. You can have someone cross paths and they see your business and it's something that they love. Um, we've had investors that who, who I mean, reached out to us because they, they, they rode with us. And that's really what kicked off the decision to actually crowdfund the business. That Interesting. We have a lot of riders asking us, hey, like, how can we invest this in this company? Um, and it's customers that try the product. They love it and they see opportunity. So that's why we issued our crowdfunding run. Very nice. So it's just a lot, a lot of hard work, a lot of pounding the pavement, a lot of getting on the phone, both for sales and investors. And uh, yet yeah. you have accomplished <laughs> an unbelievable amount in a relatively short time. I saw that it was 300% growth year over year and you're shooting like for a thousand percent. I mean, it's crazy the kind of numbers that you've got going on, even though it is early stage. And you started yeah, in 2018, right? Uh, we actually opened our first location in, at the end of 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we operated that, uh, our first location is the one that we built, uh, behind the house and everything. And, uh, we ran that location for a year. Then after seeing that it really worked and that the numbers were there, everything really made sense. Um, that's when we decided to, to go after some funding. So in the early days before you have anything, before you have, you have one location in the back, before you have validation, before you have investments, crowdfunding, all of that, how do you keep going? How do you put in the long days, the long weeks that you need to without getting discouraged before things take off? Were there any tricks that you used or how did you approach that? Um, I think you have to have a passion for it. I mean, the thing, the thing that works for me and also I can speak for my two co-founders is that we love the water and we, we were on a mission to make water sports more accessible. Um, we knew the rental market. I had, so I guess another step, I had actually just moved to an apartment and I had nowhere to keep my two paddle boards and kayaks. And uh, that's the, there, there we go. And that stuff disappeared. And I'm like, wow, like w there's no solution for this. Yeah. Let's say I want to go rent it. Um, what are the options? And I start looking at a lot of the concessions and they're charging sometimes, depending on where you are in the season, up to 60 bucks an hour. Wow. I'm like that. That doesn't make any sense. If you're traveling, you're on vacation, you're going to do it one time and never again. Okay, that I can see right. someone doing that. But if you're local and you don't have the ability to have your own equipment, that you're completely cut out of that market. And um, we saw the ability to create something that not only made it easier, but also opened up a whole new market for locals who live near our locations. Um, and also catering to our own personal challenges because of the fact that we, we had, uh, I had to get rid of my equipment when I moved to an apartment. So right. all of these things and just the passion that we have for the water and being able to create access to the water sports for people who live nearby who otherwise wouldn't, um, I think we were mission driven. That's super cool. And it's fascinating that you said that in the early days you had success because of repeat customers. I would have imagined that your business would have been more popular with vacationers, people who are there for a day or two, they're wasted and they just want to grab a board and go. But it's interesting that locals also, people who have the ability to own a board, I would have never thought that. That's interesting that they were yeah. so important for your business and are. So it, a lot of people and a lot of our riders actually do own their own boards, but some of our riders, they live on the water and it's easier for them to just throw the board down behind their house. But when they're going to go to the beach and they're, they're going with uh, a cart, two kids, a cooler, umbrellas, chairs, the whole thing, the last thing you're going to take is a 12-foot paddleboard. Um, so by having the equipment on site, they just know that they can subscribe to our membership. It's 25 bucks a month, and they have full access. They can ride two hours a day every day under one of the boards. 
Um, it makes sense cost-wise. It makes sense just to not have to move the equipment around and transport it. Um, and also, I mean, when you're at the beach or you're at a park or, or even at a hotel or whatever you're doing, you're usually entertained for a couple of hours. Then you're just sitting and looking for an, an activity to do. And by providing the equipment right on site, you're catering to that moment when someone really wants to, to try something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes so much sense. And I'm assuming you do day passes, half day passes, that kind of thing. What is it? We actually uh, haven't yet. So we do oh. hourly. We, we've only done hourly uh, pay by the hour. Okay. Um, that caters primarily to people who are uh, non-local or trying it for the first time. Um, and then the memberships is, is really the, the, the beneficial, uh, the beneficial uh, product on the cost side where uh, we see people that are riding more than once really signing up to the memberships. Amazing. Well, I definitely look forward to the day that you come to the West Coast and then I can <laughs> not have to worry about it and just drive over to the beach and there you are. That'll be a, a, a big, big day. Uh, one of the coolest things that I saw about your company that really uh, drew me to the story is that you also partner with organizations. You host a beach mangrove cleanups as well to make the yeah. world a better place. So I love that you decided to do that because, again, that's not a thing that just happens. It's something you have to choose to do and to work out to do. So what was the motivation to get involved in that kind of work? Um, it It's something that we've done uh, quite a bit. And really, it was in partnering with an organization called Philobag. So Philobag, they have um, self-service. I guess they have it's they have a, a post with uh, with. Uh, uh, they called i guess reusable buckets that, that you hang on these posts and if anybody that's going on a walk can grab one of the buckets and they can clean up clean up trash on the beach or in the park wherever they're walking um and they did a lot of these cleanups and they started bringing us in and this was before paddle just they've been doing it in kibiskane where we grew up so we got to know the organization we got to know the the challenges we got to see that firsthand and, and we wanted to get involved uh, so as a company uh, it, it's something that we we have as part of our mission that's super cool. Do you uh, think you'll expand on that in the future if things go well? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we've already done the R&D work for, for a new prototype that we're launching. And it, it, this prototype attaches to the bottom of the boards. So when our paddlers go out on the water, they'll be able to collect um, key information on the water quality. So uh, water temperature, salinity levels, pH levels. Um, and through the GPS uh, cellular communications that we have, we can send this information back in real time. So um, not sure if I mean, in California, something that you can relate to is a surfer's ear, something that when there's a lot of wa- runner wa- uh, water runoff, uh, you actually get sick if you go in the water. We'll yeah, be it's able not to- the best water, especially yeah, but, some days, unfortunately. Yeah. But we'll be able to determine when, when you see these spikes, when that's happening and transmit this information back to the cities in real time to really make a difference. Yeah, yeah. And is the water relatively cleaner in your neck of the woods? Um, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty clean. Um, nice. uh, depends on the time of the year and certain things that happen, you'll get bacterial outbreaks. Uh, the main challenge in Florida in terms of, uh, water also deals with runoff, uh, from farming that happens, uh, in the center of the state. Ugh. But it's, it's, uh, it's all the pesticides, everything that's put into it. And Nasty. Uh, a lot of, uh, chain events that happen done. And the chemicals and the forever chemicals, all of that horrible stuff. It's yeah. Awful. Yeah, and it's different on the Truly East Coast awful. than the West Coast. Uh, mm-hmm. On the West Coast of Florida, you see you see a lot of red tide that happens. It gets pretty ugly. Uh, yeah. 
I hate that stuff. That's the subject of another day, though. Um, so also when people have ideas, these days there's a lot of standard marketing channels. There's a lot of ways that people can think of to grow their business, uh, be it Instagram, social media, websites. What has been the most effective marketing strategy for you and your company so far, and what has been just not effective at all? So the most effective for us has been through local partnerships as well as good old-fashioned signs. Signage has been the number one improvement that we see at locations. Just really uh, a lot of the locations that we go to have a, a decent amount of walking traffic. Um, we, we look for locations that, that have these profiles where, where uh, there's initial volume. Um, but then also directing people that are going into these parks or into these beaches, letting them know, hey, there's paddleboard rentals over here and having signs pointing them in those directions. That's been the number one most impactful. Um, once you, once a rider rides with us, then they're introduced to, to our email marketing channels um, and, and push notifications to the phone. They're, they receive different incentives such as re uh, referral incentives. So really... Um, the more internal marketing is what we look at uh, in terms of sourcing new customers. It's um, really uh, a lot of local press. Local press has been has been a, a big driver. Um, I saw that you had featured in all of these Key Biscayne publications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah all over your I website, mean, tons of them. It, it definitely helps, and and nice. it, it builds community, and it's it's a lot more organic than than just going paid. Um, from the research I've done, paid marketing in the water sports side works really well on tours and lessons, um, really that more hands-on approach where you can actually spend the, the money to drive a higher cost item. Um, but for on the rental side, um, we, we see better results with organic, with organic type marketing. Super cool. And it's obviously different. You know, that, that calls to mind a, a thing that I've noticed. There's always been this love-hate relationship with cities and organizations like yours, certainly in the scooter world or the bike world. Yeah. Cities, you know, at first they embrace it as a means of alternative travel, but then they kind of got fed up with it and they wanted to ban it all. They thought it was garbage on the streets. A lot of different municipalities have reacted to these types of models in different ways, some more supportive than others. Do you have to get a permit to have a location? How have, have yes. the cities well, reacted to you being there? Has it been positive or is it a lot of red tape? Early on, it was incredibly difficult. Um, it was a new concept. No one had ever approved anything like this. Uh, so it was, it, it was, it was, we were kind of paving the way in a sense. Um, the, real, the real companies that paved the way for us were the scooter companies and the bike sharing companies because contractually, it's a very similar agreement. Um, and, and the technology is similar as well. So it, it, it really helped us a lot, but still no one had done this in, uh, in, on the water sports side. So being able to, to get these first few locations, um, it slowly became easier and easier as we developed, uh, uh, oh, as we developed history and really showed that, look, we, we are a very safe operation. We, we have higher safety standards than most of the operators that are out there. And it's because we're operating so many different cities and in the public sector that we have to maintain these standards. Um, and, and now by introducing technology, I, a regular water sport vendor doesn't know where their customers are. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You rent the board, it doesn't matter what you do, you, you can't keep tabs on it. When someone rents from us, we know where they are. Mm -hmm. Yep. I and mean, that's, that's a, a number one big difference. Uh, we also have partnerships with 
uh, with CETO and different vessels. And of course, we, we work really close with uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission and different government agencies uh, on the law enforcement and, and rescue side, just to make sure that we have a really safe operation going. So um, showing all of this is, has only solidified our contracting process, just knowing that we, we have all our, our ducks in a row. Very nice. I had a friend who used to ride those little scooters religiously out in Hollywood, and he was driving home, no helmet. He hit a tiny little pothole, goes flying, broke his hand, broke his thumb, got a concussion. He goes into the hospital, and the woman looks at him and says, you have no idea how many of you we see every day. (laughs) (laughs) I always wondered that. I always thought, because I'm personally a biker. I like riding a bike. I can go over potholes and curbs, but I've never liked those little tiny wheels. I, I had a Razor scooter when I was a kid, and I would hit a rock this big. You'd be and flying. I'd go flying. <laughs> the idea of going 30 miles an hour on a scooter is terrible. On a bike, sure, right? You got yeah. a big tire. But I guess, you know, obviously I'm sure that the contract has, you have a lot of different safety concerns, but not so much related to your product, more just the general safety of being out on open water, which carries exactly. with it its own set of challenges and dangers, obviously. Exactly. No, and I mean, it also depends on the scooter companies. I mean, I'll I'll tell you this. uh, You look at certain companies. uh, There's a local company here in Miami called Bolt, uh, Bolt Mobility, and they've done a lot of R&D on their scooters. And if you look at their product, I mean, they're unbelievable. And they don't have a lot of the challenges that you see with. And there's a lot of operators have come into the U.S. and a lot of different scooter share companies that they're just buying uh, any scooter that they find and, and plugging some tech into it just so you can unlock right. it from your phone. Um, you'll see those companies go away. And I'm, I'm not talking about the lions and the birds, but um, it, some other ones. I'm not, I don't want to point any fingers, but right. <laughs> uh, you'll just see There's lower plenty quality. out there. Yeah, you'll see lower quality products. Yes. And, and they don't care if people are falling or, or they're not putting the R&D uh, into it to make sure that they have a better product. But it it. Like with anything, it depends. Absolutely. That's been your answer so far to many questions and always wise advice. (laughs) It depends, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Now we're approaching sort of the end of the hour, and I want to ask a a bit of broader questions of you. Um, First off, would you say that in your own opinion, do you feel that your life has taken a straightforward path? Or has it been a crazy path, a meandering path? It's, it's been a crazy path. I mean, early on, uh, going back to even school, uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to start my own company. So uh, that doesn't really pave a normal path for you. Um, then got steered into finance, got steered into hospitality, somehow ended up leaving both and then did an MBA and came back into both. Uh <laughs> But um, it, it's been it's been a great ride, and there's been it, it's been a lot of moments that have been great, a lot of moments that haven't been great. But um, it just making the most of every day and making the most of every moment that, and and really understanding that if you have a challenging moment, you're gonna get through it, and just keep at it. Determination really helps. Um, that's the best advice I can give. I mean, makes sense. <laughs> so I'm curious if during all of those twists and turns, were you out on the water through all of that, not realizing that that might somehow connect one day to your business? Um, no, I had a, I had a pretty good idea that I knew I wanted to do something with the water. I mean, I, I, I've had a, what I guess you can call it an obsession with the water. And 
any sport that's on the water, whether it's even wakeboarding, fishing, diving. I mean, I'm, I love it. And you're out there. It, I just love being on the water and near it. So and are you I'm still glad. out there? Are you able to get out there these days or is it just work, work, work? Oh, a lot less than I used to. Um, but when we are out there, it's, uh, the best feeling in the world. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, and you get your ups and downs. I mean, the best moment on the water and there's nothing like it. The worst moment on the water, it's still pretty good. I mean, except one time, uh, we actually got hit by a cargo ship while sword fishing and we got stranded offshore. Hit uh, by a car, like one of those giant ships, those yeah, massive no, yeah, ships. Thousand foot freighter hit a tiny little center console. We capsized and floated what? all the way to Palm Beach. Um, and you survived? How is that possible? So luckily I was 15 years old, so I didn't understand the true threat of what was going on. You just know you flipped, you got on. I was, it was myself and my co-founder, Khalil, and we were stuck offshore. Um, oh but God. even through that, these are moments that the next day we were fishing. And <laughs> the next day, like, okay, glad that's over with. Let's get back out there. Exactly. Whew, all that stress makes me want to fish. So it's, uh, it's an obsession and a passion that we have for the ocean. And um, I, I knew that it was going to incorporate not only into my recreation, but also into my professional life in some way. Amazing. Yeah, you know, I, you remind me of a similar story that I had once. So I was actually in the Netherlands. You talked about your Europe trip, and I was out sailing with somebody on those little boats. You know, sunfishes are those tiny little single-person yeah, yeah. sailboats, right? It yeah, wasn't yeah. quite a sunfish, but it was something like that. Maybe a laser, I think it was called. Anyways, it's got the rudder in the back that you can steer. Yeah. But the only thing that connects the rudder to whatever you hold, I'm sure there's a technical term for that, is this tiny little pin, a little pin that's yeah. on a little string and if, in theory, if the pin falls out, it's on a string and you can put the pin back in. So I'm in the middle of this river, which is essentially a shipping channel, and I'm trying to steer and nothing's happening. And I look back and I see that it's not connected anymore to the rudder. And <laughs> I figure out the problem on the fly that there is a hole and there's supposed to be a pin there, but there is no pin and there's no string. So there's no way that I can fix this out on the boat. I'm in the middle of this shipping channel and I'm just looking, trying to figure out, looking to see if there's anything I can do to fit in there. And I get this call from a group of people in a boat and they're speaking in Dutch. And this was before I knew the language and they're yelling. They say, hey, and I say, hey, and they say something in Dutch and I didn't understand it at the time. And they and I say, sorry, I only speak English. And they say, yes, um, maybe uh, look there's uh and then i look up and a huge shipping container is coming straight at me straight at me and i'm in a tiny boat and i have no way of going anywhere right now it'd be a random direction at best so they say um do you maybe want us to tow you to the shore and i say yes for the love of god yes <laughs> <laughs> so they come over the little motor they pull me away like five seconds before this <laughs> massive boat and i think if they hadn't been there i i don't know what would have happened but it wouldn't have been good i doubt i could have swum far enough in the time that i would have needed to if i started swimming right away i don't know how far i could have gotten without being trapped underneath this boat it was wild so that was a story that i haven't thought of in a very long time thanks <laughs> no it's those are those are pivotal stress. moments i think yeah. <laughs> in the beginning i thought it was my fault but then only later did i learn that it actually wasn't my fault they said oh yeah there's supposed to be a string there i said yeah there's supposed to be a string there <laughs> isn't there 
That's what the string is for, Andres. That's why it's supposed to be there. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> so as we sort of wrap up here, I, I wanted to ask, so I, because, again, the premise of the show is about the unusual. It's about strange paths, weird paths, people who have taken a different turn, and obviously, based on your story, you qualify for that, no doubt. Is there any piece of unusual advice that you have listened to or that you've gotten or something that's counterintuitive that's worked for you, something that's the opposite of what you might be hearing all day on Instagram? Um, I think the reality is that what you're hearing on Instagram is that overnight success is the common theme and that this is the norm. And the reality is that it's not. It's, it's a lot of determination, a lot of grit, it's a lot of pushing forward. Um, the... I guess the whole sexy appeal that people see from the outside in of startups is, and 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 the high growth trajectories and just everything, and it's it's not really real, especially early on. Um, you're working an insane amount, and you're it's for a mission driven purpose. It's for something that you believe in. Um, the goal is that you're not going to be doing it forever. I mean that that you're not going to be working uh, the amount of hours a week they work every single week indefinitely obviously no one wants to live a life like that um but just focus on the hard work early on and make sure that that you put that effort in because it will pay off in in the later stages um it, it's not the easy path out it but it's definitely the most rewarding i love it and the last and final most important question is scale of one to ten one is i hate my life 10 is I am living the best life I can possibly imagine. Where do you feel right now? An eight. There's always room for a 20% growth. <laughs> always room for a 20% growth. <laughs> I love that you attached a number to it. That's great. Well, my, background, all right, my background's in accounting and yeah, finance. Exactly. <laughs> my life is in percentages. <laughs> it's crazy. Very nice. Very nice. I wholeheartedly approve. So with that, uh, we're now at the end. I wanted to uh, let you take the floor here to wrap things up. If you have any parting words of wisdom or if there's anything you just want to promote or anything that uh, serves your own best interests, I'm going to leave the last word to you. So have at it. Uh, definitely. So, I mean, um, I just want to say thank you, honestly, for, for the show and to all the listeners for listening in. Uh, it's great to meet you in person and, have, and be able to have this hour conversation. It's uh same. Like I said, you meet a lot of interesting people along the way, and, and uh, I, I always cherish and value that. Um, Me too. Uh, I guess anyone that, that wants to get on the water, please reach out to me. Uh, hop on our website at www.paddle.co. Um, uh, let us know what you think. We always want to hear feedback, and, and I hope you have a great time on the water. That is fantastic. And, of course, if I'm not mistaken, it's P-A-D-L. Dot co right padl.co okay well again andreas Aveo, i feel the same about you it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you over this last hour i support you in what you're doing i think you've carved out a nice little life for yourself i look forward to what the future brings and when you do make it to the west coast i will absolutely be one of the first people so yeah you're shooting for malibu you're shooting for marina del rey these are your key spots <laughs> let's get yeah. some of these in malibu so that I don't have to worry about it and I can drive up there and, and head out. Most but again, definitely. thank you very much. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. Oh.